good morning. <clears throat> As most everybody knows, I'm Pastor Michael, and on behalf of our lead pastor, Seth, uh, myself, and the entire Reachway team, I'd like to welcome you all to Reachway Church this morning. It is so very good to see each and every one of you here. As Pastor Seth said, this is week four, uh, the final week of a four-part series titled, I've Done That. The new year um, really brings about a time of reflection for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people will reflect on previous year and the mistakes that they've made, uh, shortcomings, uh, regrets perhaps, and oftentimes we make New Year's resolutions. However, as most of you know, and perhaps have experienced yourself, we oftentimes fail to keep those resolutions. There's nothing wrong with making resolutions or trying to improve ourselves and, and improve our lives, and especially if we're trying to avoid repeating mistakes we've made in the past or, or even trying to rectify those mistakes. There's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is, is when we make these resolutions we fail repeatedly is it can and oftentimes bring about feelings of guilt or shame. It can lead us to being too focused on our past mistakes and our past failures, and it just we kind of keep repeating that cycle. We, we try to make the change, we fail to make the change, and then we feel bad and guilty because we failed yet again. And it happens, I think, even in some Christians' lives with, with sometimes certain Christians struggle with certain sin, and, you know, and they'll, they'll do it, and they'll like, that's it, Lord, this is it. I, I, I Give me that repentant heart that I need, and they try to turn from it, and you know, later down the road, they still make that same mistake. The, the, the problem here is focusing too much on the past can keep us from living the life God intends. We believe here at Reachway Church, <coughs> pardon me, I'm still kind of not fully over this here. We believe here at Reachway Church that it is God's will, plan, and desire to make all things new in our lives. We also believe that God will always bring about good from the bad. Pay attention to this part, even if we never see it in our lives or in our lifetime. I'm going to repeat that. We believe that God always brings about good from the bad, even if we don't see it in our life or our lifetimes. Sometimes our mistakes, God can make good out of that in somebody else's life that maybe witnessed it or heard about it. So we may not see it, but we need to know and trust that it. God will make good out of it. When I was asked to speak up here, I began praying for the Holy Spirit to kind of guide me and give me, give me a sermon. I, I really didn't, never written a sermon before, don't know, so rely on God for this. Almost immediately, I got the story of the character of Doubting Thomas. As I have shared before, I spent the first four years of my life pretty much as an atheist. There were times where I was kind of agnostic. I believed in sort of fate or destiny, uh, you know, but I didn't really believe in an intelligent higher power. Now, the main reason I was a, an atheist or agnostic is, as my grandmother used to call me, I was a Doubting Thomas. I was called that a lot growing up, didn't even know who Doubting Thomas was, didn't know anything about scriptures, didn't know that Thomas was a disciple. Well, and if you don't, I'll tell you, Thomas was one of the disciples. He was with Jesus for three years, just like the rest of the disciples. But the saying comes Doubting Thomas because, well, Thomas doubted, even after spending three years with Jesus. <clears throat> even when Jesus had arisen, he revealed himself to the other disciples, but he hadn't revealed himself to Thomas yet. And so when the other disciples came to Thomas to tell him, as we'll see in John 20, 25 of the NIV, 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Imagine how excited they must have been. They were with him for three years. He was arrested, crucified, and was laid to rest. And three, and three days later, he's arisen. They've, they've got to be ecstatic and excited. And yet, here's Thomas's reply. But he said to them, unless I see the nail... Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That is honestly where I think I was for those first 40 years looking back. I needed to put my finger where the nail holes were. I needed to put my hand in the side to just know that God was real. I believe a part of me really wanted to believe, but I just had too many doubts. Doubts, and, and I'm not really proud to admit this, but the fact that I am more math, logic, and science-oriented kind of led me to this belief that, and again, I hate to even admit it, but I believed at the time that I was too educated to believe in a fairy tale make-believe God. In high school at lunch, I sat with a group of friends, of course, as everyone does, but there were two friends in particular that we would try to sit together and get off to the side. One of them was Jared who was an Orthodox Jew, and the other one was Mike, who was raised in a Catholic school up until he started high school. We had some very intense intellectual debates about Scripture and the Bible, as you could probably imagine. Pardon me for a second. I used to ask them all kinds of questions. I took all my doubts to them, trying to ask, and oftentimes Jared would have to be like, I don't know the answer, I'll go talk to my rabbi. I asked specifically questions about creation account versus all the evidence that seemed to support the theory of evolution. I asked them how they could even believe, and, and this is another one that, please, I don't believe this anymore, but this is the way I thought at the time. I asked them, how can you even believe in a book written 2,000 years ago by just some guys off in a desert halfway around the world that doesn't even apply to us? I would ask them how they could believe scriptures are truth when you can look in a couple of gospel accounts and you can find discrepancies. Now, they're minor issues, of course, and they're, I know now that they're told they're discrepancies because this is one author and what this author saw, and this is what this author saw, or sometimes it's what the author finds important to write. Looking back, I never insulted them or for believing what they believed. I did not try to convince them not to believe. I really believe I had doubts, and I was just looking for answers to those doubts. Now, as I mentioned earlier about praying about my sermon... I got really confused because as I continued to pray, about three days later, I was told, oh, you need to speak about Jonah. So let's talk about Jonah. Most of all know the story of Jonah. He was called by God to preach to Nineveh, but Jonah ran the complete opposite direction. Now, I haven't fact-checked this, but I've heard this from other people who definitely have done a lot more research than I do, so I, I trust them on it. But according to them, it was literally 180 degrees from there. So if Nineveh was to the north and Jonah was here, he went straight south. I mean, he ran as as possible as you could from God. He went down and he, into Tarshish and he boarded a ship that was sent up upon a storm. And that God sent the storm. He sent the storm after the ship and after Jonah. The crew tried, the story goes on that the crew tried to lighten the load. They threw off all the cargo and everything and it still wasn't helping. They, they were at risk of sinking. They cast lots, found out it was Jonah, talked to Jonah. He's like, yes, it's me. God's mad. Throw me overboard and the storm will be fine. They didn't want to do that. They tried to row to shore. The storm intensified, finally realizing that they can't escape God. God's more powerful than they are, and they're going to sink. They basically said, hey, Lord, don't hold us accountable for Jonah, and tossed him over. And the storm stopped. 
Now, God also provided a huge fish that we often equate to a whale, but God provided a huge fish to come along and swallow Jonah. Jonah spent three days and three nights inside of the whale, and during that time he was praying to God, and God provided for all of his needs. When he finally submitted to the call that God had, God had the fish puke him out. I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life around, around 40, 40th birthday, a couple months before, a couple months after. I, I, my memory is so bad, I don't really recall exactly when. Within six to nine months after I accepted Christ, um, I, I basically realized after talking to some pastors, I had a call to ministry. Now, I didn't sell our home. I didn't pack up and move in the complete opposite direction. But I basically ran in, in every possible way I could. I would tell people verbally that I was going to follow this call, and, and I would make effort. I, I would pick a path, but I would pick not the path that God wanted for me. I would pick my own paths, and primarily because I knew those paths would not work. And then I could say, well, at least I tried, I mean, right? I tried. Well, God, being God, sent a storm. Okay, there wasn't lightning and thunder, but basically there was an extremely shocking and surprising and uh, unforeseen job loss. I lost my job. Just working a normal week, Friday afternoon, I get called into an office, boom, I'm laid off. Well, we got behind on some of our bills, as happens, and the mortgage company decided to foreclose on the home. We were losing our house. We didn't know where we were going to go. Well, God had provided a huge fish. He provided a huge fish in the possibility to go to Tennessee to buy my wife's dad, my father-in-law's house, contract for deed, which was, obvious, which was a lot less expensive than what we had up here, and we could make it. Now, I was confident with my work experience, okay, cocky, prideful, we'll just throw that out there, that I would get a job quickly and easily. As you could probably guess, God didn't work that way. We basically were running out of our savings. I had to have a conversation with her dad and say, hey, you know, we're in this contract for deed, but after this month's payment, our savings is going to be gone. We won't have enough money for the following month. So I wanted to let you know now, instead of waiting until the last minute, it's possible I could find a job, but I don't know for sure. It's really unknown. So if you want to cancel the contract for deed and us move out or whatever, whatever you want to do, it's, here's the information. What do you want to do? He said, I don't want to change a thing. God will provide. So we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and prayed even harder for God's provision. And it, I, I, some of the stories I can't even believe, but God did provide. I mean, one instance I just got to share here. I have never before in my life, nor have I ever since, got a check from an insurance company to reimburse me for overpaying them. I don't know if anybody else can say that they've had that happen, but we did. We needed money. And all of a sudden, we, in the mail, there's a check. Okay. God was providing. Now, I can be a bit thick-headed and stubborn. No comment from my wife. <laughs> so it, it, took me, it took me three years in, in the belly of the fish or in Tennessee for me to learn to be more humble, to be reliant on God, to truly rely and trust in God's provision, and, and to finally come to that point of surrendering to his call and will for my life. After that, God brought us back to Illinois, he brought us back to, to Bridgeway Church, is where we first started attending, where I accepted Christ. That's where we met Pastor Seth, and then, of course, the rest, as they say, the rest is history. <clears throat> again, as I said towards the beginning, not to change gears again, I, I apologize, but as I was praying on what message I should talk about, about three days after I got Jonah, I heard I was supposed to talk about Moses. 
Yeah. So on to Moses. Moses, now that, 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 there's how many sermons could we go on with Moses? I mean, how much is of the Bible talks about Moses? He did so many things. But I got specifically that I was supposed to talk about the burning bush story. So I want to focus on that story. And as I focus on that story, I want to focus not necessarily on exactly everything that went back and forth. We're going to skip a lot of the story. What I want to focus on is Moses' response to God. Because, well, it can be kind of our responses to God oftentimes too. So the story starts with Moses tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. And he sees a bush on fire but not being consumed by the fire. He thinks, well, I need to go check this out. As he approaches, he hears God's voice. This is holy ground, take off your sandals. He does so. They have a conversation. God says, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt who were still slaves at the time. He said, I've heard their cries. I'm sending you to go talk to the Pharaoh and release them. So how does Moses respond to all of this? He kind of does a but God moment, right? So Exodus 3.11, NIV, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? <laughs> how many of us have asked God, how many of us have been there when God has asked us to do something where we fall victim to our own self-doubt, where we thought, well, who am I? Or what can I possibly impact? How can I possibly impact that situation? It's so big, and I'm just, just one little person. What can I possibly do? But we have to ask ourselves, God's all-knowing, right? So why would God ask people to do something if he knows they can't do it? Well, surprise, if he asks us, he knows we can. Now, he may have to equip us. He may have to provide a lot of the work for us, and, and that's okay. But we have to have faith and follow. Some people sometimes think that by saying that, well, I can't do that, they're trying to show humility. You know, they don't want to be prideful, right? But oftentimes it just kind of shows that we lack, we, we, really, we lack trust and faith in God. But back to the conversation with Moses. Moses just objected and asked, who am I? God reassures him that he is the one chosen because, you know, hey, God's like, I chose you, go do it. And there's a lot of other discourse that goes on, but again, and it fin finishes up all of Exodus 3. But I want to skip to Exodus 4, 1, where, again, Moses replies to God. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to me? That's Exodus 4, 1 again. How many of us have been there? Maybe we're having a conversation with a coworker or a family member, and we feel there's a perfect opportunity opening up to talk about God, or maybe talk about our faith, or maybe even share our testimony, our story, how God has worked in a similar situation. But then what's that little inner dialogue say? What if they don't believe us? What if they don't even believe in God? Or what, you know, what if they think I'm making this up just to try to push my church on them, you know, church push my religion on them? It's a very legitimate question we ask. But I would say that it's not our concern. It's not our concern whether or not they're going to believe us. It's not our concern if they believe us in the moment. A half an hour later, two hours later, we don't replay that conversation in our head and sit there and, is, is, well, I wonder if they believe. It's not our concern. When God leads us to do it, we follow. And if they don't believe, that's on them, not us. We do our part. <clears throat> so how did God answer Moses' second objection, right? God demonstrated power by turning Moses' staff into a snake, tells him to pick it up, and it turns back to his staff. He tells him to put his hand in his cloak. He pulls it out, and it's like covered in leprosy, nasty, and that. He says, put it back in, pulls it back out, and it's healed. He says, I've given you these signs and all of that. So, again, I don't want to go into that part because I want to focus on Moses' response because that's really kind of more about us. So 
I want to skip down to Exodus 4.10, NIV. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon me, your servant. Pardon your servant, Lord. Sorry. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, I kind of laughed there because first there was objections and buts thrown in. When those aren't working, what do we do? We resort to excuses as to why God is wrong and we're not the right one. <clears throat> and we all have excuses. Most of them are based on a bit of truth. Uh, this past week, I, I, my work has blown up. I, I've got a project that I've got to work on. I've been working all weekend. I'll be working yet this afternoon because we've got to deliver to UAT. Last week, I got sick and I had a cold. My voice still isn't back yet. I've got a lot going on in my life. Those are probably legitimate excuses that I could have used to try to get out of doing this. But that's all they are is excuses. You know, Moses' excuse was that he wasn't eloquent or he was, he was slow of speech, but does it really require him to be eloquent or fast of speech? Is that going to make a difference in, in Pharaoh releasing the, 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 the slaves? Apparently not, or God would not have called him and sent him. Again, why would God send somebody or call somebody to do something if he knew they couldn't do it? Our excuses, we have to be very careful with this because our excuses just reveal a heart that is not obedient to God. So we have to be careful of that. Turning back now to Moses again, again, I hate changing directions so fast, but, but so how does God respond to Moses to that? Well, God basically says to him, who was it that gave people the ability to speak? You know, kind of just pointing out the obvious that God created everything. God gave people to speak, so he just tells Moses, I will help you. I will teach you what to say. Don't worry. Go. You think after all of this, maybe, just maybe, I mean, staff, leprosy, burning bush that's not burning, hearing God's voice audibly, you think maybe, you know, there comes a point where he's going to relent, but does he relent yet? No. I love this final response. I love it mainly. I love it and I don't. I love it only because I was here not too long ago. And, we, and just think of this. How many of us got this point as well? So Exodus 4.14, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. After all of our objections, after all of our excuses, and we, it's still clear to us that God is still calling us and asking us to do something, how many of us got to that point of just saying, hey, just send someone else. I don't want to do it. Well, if I'm honest, I did that. You can ask my wife and Pastor Seth. When he emailed, emailed me about this, this great idea that he had to do this series, and he wanted each of us to guess, you know, the, us pastors to do one of the Sundays, I emailed back a pretty large email. And I'm sure there were quite a few objections and buts in there. I'm pretty sure I threw a few excuses. And I can't recall exactly, but I might have even got to the point of just saying, I'm not ready, find someone else. <laughs> Worse yet, it wasn't just the one email. This topic. This, this went on back and forth through emails and through discussions. Back and forth. I was just constantly arguing. So yeah, Moses arguing, I can say, yes, I've done that. And unfortunately, um, and I'm not proud to admit it, I can say I've done that up until just probably a week or a few days ago. Uh, I mean, honestly, when I said I was praying for God to give me guidance, I actually was praying that God would get me out of this. But if he wouldn't, but if he, but if he wouldn't get me out of it, then please give me what I'm supposed to talk about. If that's the honest prayer, 
So I get it. <clears throat> I was nervous. I think some of you probably talked to me last Sunday. You could probably tell in my voice I was nervous and I was anxious about this. This is another area of my life where I've learned. Again, I'm thick-headed and stubborn. So it's another area of my life where I learned that, guess what? Even in this area, I can rely on God, and I can trust in God. God gave me the words to speak. He gave me the sermon. And this morning, I was stressed last night because, not because of this, but because of work. You know, and I'm sure when I leave here, the stress will start up again because of work. But I got up this morning, and I had, sorry, I had an incredible sense of calm and peace about me that just transcends all reality. It is God and only God that can do that. And I feel kind of stupid for all of the energy I wasted being nervous and anxious leading up to this because it's not there now. God gave me what I needed to do. God asked me because he knows I can do it. I have to just rely on him. I can't do it on my own, but I can do it if I rely on him, and I'm here to do so. Doubting Thomas? Yeah, I've done that too. God, God, thankfully, was so, so very patient and understanding with me. He provided me a very long, roundabout journey, mostly intellectual, to, to help me satisfy those doubts so that I could come to believe. And the wonderful thing is, is now that experience has equipped me better to help other people who have doubts. I've learned a very valuable lesson, too. I was asking people these questions, and I wanted an answer. People have questions, and they come to me, with, and they want an answer. I'm not going to give them an answer. I'm going to give them guidance, and I'll offer to come alongside them to help them find the answer. Only God can provide the answer for them, and they have to seek that. And I can help them now through the paths I've taken to try to seek that same, to find their own answers. Jonah, <laughs> I've done that. I mean, we kind of went over that. But for me, Jonah's story takes a little different twist. Jonah's story on the surface seems really to be focused on disobedience. Right? I mean, God called him to preach, and what did he do? He disobeyed and ran. You know, God sent a storm, and you could view that, and the fish and everything is kind of a punishment. For me, in my experience, I look at Jonah's story as really just learning to completely trust in God's provision. God will provide our needs if we just trust him and rely on him to do so. <coughs> Again, pardon me. And by learning to completely trust in God and trust in his provision, and learn to rely on him, you start to learn that lesson that God's plan for our lives is really going to make us happier. Sure, I've got a plan. I can create a plan for my life, my plan, that I think is going to bring me happiness. And it may not be what God's plan is, but I've learned over time that I know now, completely know, that God's plan is going to provide me more happiness and more joy in my life than what my plan is. We can learn all these, we can memorize all these sayings in the Christian circles and repeat them over and over when situations call for it. But living through it, allowing ourselves to live through it, taking that risk and trusting in God to live through it, we aren't just memorizing a saying, we're learning the true truth behind it all. Okay, three stories. That's a lot. I know I had to kind of rush it, but I hope you're still with me. Now, the, the main reason I think that that I felt led, God called, told me to do the three lessons, the three different stories, is to kind of make a point. We can get up and talk about one mistake and everything, but some people might be sitting there going, yeah, but I've made a lot of mistakes. And trust me, I'm not bragging here, but I live as an atheist. 
I live by a motto of live fast, die young, leave a good looking course behind. You know, I did a lot of things. I broke a couple of Ten Commandments in one night because I didn't believe, didn't care. And sometimes I think I did it out of rebellion and just because I wanted to do it to some of my friends just to prove them wrong. But our God is so big. It doesn't matter the number of mistakes. It doesn't matter your past, how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how large your mistakes are. None of that matters. Our God is so big. He has the power and, here's the key, the desire to take those mistakes, to redeem them, to work good things in them for his good, his kingdom, and his glory. I don't say that. I need to feel this needs to be stated. I don't say that giving free permission to go make mistakes willy-nilly and to go out there sinning on purpose. I, I don't say that. I just say that to just remind us that we cannot live and focus in our past. We can't put too much focus on it. God will redeem us and our past. So at this time, I'm going to invite the band to come up here. So as I said at the beginning, focusing too much on the past can keep us from living the life God intends. That really was what this message was about. It's not just about I've done that, but I just felt led that God needed me to speak more on the fact that we focus too much on our pasts and it keeps us from living the life God wants for us and intends for us. If you'll allow me to, I want to kind of paint a picture of this to hopefully concrete this in here to close it out. Our lives as Christians should be lived like driving a car. When we're driving a car, the engineers have engineered and created windshields and side windows to give us as optimal view where we are going as possible. That is equated to our future. By comparison, we have small side mirrors and small rear view mirror. Those are there, why? So we can glance at the, what's behind us in case it can help us make a better and safer decision forward. But notice that the size, notice the proportion here of what our vision is forward and how small it is behind. Imagine if you started on a road trip and you stared at your rearview mirror. You probably wouldn't make it to your destination, and it's very likely you could end up in a wreck, right? And that's what happens in our lives if we spend too much time focusing on our past. We aren't meant to live our lives living like that. We are meant to look forward. We glance at our past in, 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 so that we can take lessons from it to make better decisions and safer decisions moving forward but we keep our eyes focused on the forward. That is how God wants us to live. So if you will... Uh...